Good evening, Crystal. How are you doing tonight? Um, we're doing okay. I'm doing okay. It's uh, been a long week of baseball tournaments because the um the little guys baseball minors is wrapping up the oh, season. Oh yeah, fun fun. I'm hoping next year to put little guy in in baseball. Although today, <laughs> this is my brain on uh, facts. Uh. I was taking Ollie to Galaxy Land because I finally got my tax return. And uh, we went there. And guess what I forgot? My wallet. <laughs> oh, no. So he was so cranky by the end of it. But uh, that's okay. We're going to go tomorrow. So we'll uh, we'll try that out. Uh, it was quite busy. So we're trying to sort of stay away from that. But I don't really have an agenda for tonight. I mostly just wanted to check in about what you've been seeing going on. But also maybe talk a little bit about finding some joy in all this. Once in a while, we try to take a little bit on the positive psychology spin and, and talk about it. So I thought maybe we could do a little bit of that tonight, too. I would love to hear a, uh, well, I think more, more, more addressing resilience during these, these times, right, Crystal? I mean, gosh, that new study that just came out this week. Mm. Wait, which one? The brain clumping uh, one? Oh. Brain clumping. So yeah, it was. Um, it was. I think it was Australian news, right? It was that clip, mm -hmm. and she asked one of the doctors, you know, what happens to these neurons that fuse together because fusing neurons was the COVID news this week, right? And so the researcher goes, "Well, they fuse into these giant masses of cells." And then when they're not being used for what they're supposed to, then these neurons die. And the the <laughs> anchor literally popped and asked the um, this isn't permanent, right? <laughs> uh, yes, excuse me, it is very permanent. Um, when neurons and cells fuse together, that's typically what we call fucking tumors. Okay, it's fucking tumors forming in your brain mass. And that's why there's gray matter loss. So yeah, guys, avoid this uh, BSL-3 pathogen. Like your life depends on it because it really does. And I see Epietti and Sass here in the room. Thank you so much. And Sass, thank you so much for your posts about like literally screaming into the void about why are we allowing our children to be continually infected? by this virus i'm, I'm done ranting yeah i was just finding that post and putting it up uh so i've put the post up by uh palliative doc which was uh has that clip up in it and just the the text from that uh study that covid causes brain cells to abnormally fuse together causing impairments in brain function and in 10 percent of study cases neuronal activity completely stopped uh, Long-term implications of this finding are genu genuinely terrifying considering we are letting this virus run uncontrolled. So what it made me think of, honestly, was more of like uh, the Alzheimer's research, which isn't really surprising, right, in terms of like the plaques that develop, um, you know, the tau stuff, the amyloid plaques that develop and, and those sorts of uh, those masses that can fill in the brain and often we don't see until like the long-term implications of it. 
which I'm not really surprised by. And given that we're starting to see that perhaps there's been viral infections involved in sort of later dementia, Alzheimer's cases, we really jumped into something uh, really bad, right? <laughs> and like, we're not even four years into this, right? We're, we're just, we're three years and three months into this from the start. We're just having the, the sort of longer term research come into this now and, and see the results of that research. And from the psychology point of view and like watching this as a psychologist, the, the mass delusion that we continue to find ourselves in isn't just not something, it wasn't necessarily something I was even prepared for in terms of, there's always this thought, right? That if we, if we have the information or that we can give the right information that people will sort of come around, but watching what's happening with COVID and understanding that, you know, I don't believe, and if someone can send me information that negates this, I would actually really appreciate it. But we've never, we have never approached uh, a pandemic or a public health issue like the way we are approaching COVID, right? In the sense of um, pull all protections back, pretend like it doesn't exist. You know, we have research that says when they stop the protections in hospitals that the rates go up dramatically, but that's exactly what we see sort of across countries going on right now is despite all the information coming out, they're still choosing to uh, take down the protections. So we're in this like really slow motion crash, but I don't think it's going to be as slow as we think it is because we've allowed this mass infection on such a wide scale. It's like these other viruses and sort of outcomes that we like to compare it to um, were based on mitigating a lot of the harm that it was causing Whereas with COVID, we haven't done that. So we have people who probably, you know, are on like 10 infections at this point, right? And that's only growing as we've taken away the the measures and protections. And we, I, I truly don't think that we're prepared for sort of the long-term outcomes of this in, in say even 10 years compared to a lot of the other viruses and issues that we've seen. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Mel. I, I would even um, dare to say that we're going to see and be in the find out stage within five years, simply because we have let this run so rampant that some people are already at their 10th infection. And that was when it was last measured, right? Last year when we were still in the pandemic, because in 2023, apparently the pandemic is over, right? And so everyone is still continually getting infected with this virus. Um, we're gonna find out in under five years what it's going to do to the rest of us. and. I, I am scared um, for for our community, for my family, for our species as a whole, because you're right, we are not prepared to see what's going to happen um, to us. I mean, let's remind everyone. Well, we can't everyone. check okay, so either, I... right? Like we're not allowed access no. to the medical system that even if we want to be protecting ourselves, even if we know what to monitor for, none of us are going to be able to access anything like that, right? No, not everyone has a baseline MRI pre-pandemic. That's not uh, a regular thing people get done. And on top of that, let's remind everyone that neuroscience is really in its infancy. When I started my grad studies in education neuroscience in 2009, that was like at the beginning of 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 learning 
about the brain and understanding, you know, all the different parts of the brain and how it interacts with social media, because that was my focus for my thesis. It was education, neuroscience, learning, and social media. And really, we're really in its infancy. And so now when you have this virus that has affected millions upon millions of children in this generation that have been multiply infected during their formative years where they are having actual brain growth and brain development. Wow. I'm so scared because, you know, some of the studies that they are coming out about this neuro neurodegenerative effects of this virus is showing that not only is there gray matter loss, but there's actual neuron death. So typically with brain plasticity, what happens is, is if you get injured, if there's a neuron that dies, the neuron will then reach and grow and reconnect with a different neuron. If something happens like in, in an insult or an injury, but the research that are finding out about what the SARS-CoV-2 virus does to your brain neurons is actually kills it. And so this is where we get this clumping and the cells are dying because it's being attacked by cytokines. And we have these cytokine storms. And this is why we hear about all these giant histamine responses. And probably this is why everyone's allergies are really bad this year. Like I keep hearing everyone saying, oh, my allergies are terrible. Well, it's probably because you've already activated your immune system, right? Because according to Dr. Leonardi, right, you exhaust your immune system. It's not like a use it and lose it thing. It's basically, according to reality check markers account and, and him, uh, what they posit is that it's more like immunity beanbags. And this is according to reality check makers account. It's more like uh, immune beanbags. So if you've used up all your beanbags, then you end up being immune depleted and we get this lympho Potemia. I'm sorry if I can't um, enunciate that correctly, but this is where you have the, the white blood cells and the excess white blood cell action. And then this is what leads to almost blood cancer, leukemia, right? Because your immune system is so overreacted. And, and we're, we're past that point now where we have run this experiment where we are infecting our children over and over again during their formative years when, you know, we all know everyone's T cells and immune system, they, in children's development, their immune system, it literally stops after puberty. Like there's, there, there is a finite time where they no longer produce T cells and they have it. That's all they get for the rest of their life for immune, for their immune system. And now we've introduced this virus that basically Oh gosh. Well everyone guys, what we've all, done. all everybody cared about was the lungs to start with, right? The respiratory system, because in the first wave yeah. of COVID, that was sort of the primary mechanism that we were seeing it. And even with that, right, like I was reading, saw one of the studies today that was looking at the lung tissue um from people even with mild cases and looking like, you know, pulmonary fibrosis, which is something we've talked about before in some of the other organ systems, some of the research has shown, uh, like the liver and the kidneys, that we've also seen fibrosis like conditions following COVID. Um, but I threw up a paper too, um, Harry uh, posted about reinfections, right? That 
so both the first infection and reinfection with SARS increases cardiac event risk, particularly in vulnerable patients with cardiovascular risk factors and accompanying systemic endothelial dysfunction. Well, let's be clear that a lot of people probably don't know they have cardiac risk factors. Uh, so they're actually at risk at this when they don't know, because we tend to have, especially in North America, we have a lot of cardiovascular issues um, due to various factors. Um, but by worsening pre-existing endothelial dysfunction, both the first infection and reinfection with ensuing COVID-19 may turn the endothelium pro coagulative and prothrombotic and ultimately lead to local thrombus formation. Uh, so those are clots, right, that are going to throw off. Uh, so when occurring in an epicardial coronary artery, the risk of acute coronary syndrome increases. And when occurring in intramyocardial microvessels, scattered, my scattered myocardial injuries will ensue, which then predisposes them to further sort of uh, cardiac events. So, you know, like we're busting these systems down in people. So we're busting the heart, we're busting the lungs, we're busting the brain, right? We're, we're throwing off these things into all areas of the body. And then we're surprised that people in their 50s to 30s to 50s are just dropping dead right now. And, uh, oh, the, the Breaking Bad actor, that one, that was a recent one that everybody was talking about uh, because the wife made a statement about it, which I was actually sort of um, good on her for making that statement. I think he was... Uh, so 52, Mike Battier from Breaking Bad, uh, actor and comedian, dead at 52. Uh, so he died from cardiac arrest, but his wife came out saying like he had no sort of previous heart issues, nothing had been going on like that. So to them, it was sort of um, surprising, right? But I think to most of us that have been watching this, uh, like one of my first questions now is, did he have COVID? <laughs> like, I suspect he has had COVID by now. And if we know... And we do know there's extensive sort of systematic reviews, meta-analyses on all sorts of studies now um, that it affects the cardiovascular system. It's increasing heart attacks. It's increasing strokes. So, like, at what point do we stop pretending to be surprised that young people are dying of these things? Because there was no indication that young people aren't going to be impacted by these outcomes, right? We, we've... We've seen that maybe it's at a lower occurrence in, in children and things, but now we're seeing, you know, I saw a pediatric uh, physician that was posting that said, you know, they're starting to see kids on two or three infections and, and on a third re reinfection, they're starting to get long COVID. We've got, you know, little kids with long COVID. That's unacceptable. No, and, and I just posted that article um, that uh, Dr. Leonardi put up, AJ put up that, you know, and it is, you know, intuitive with every infection it increases your chances of getting long covid every infection it 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 ups the ante of how many ace2 receptors in your body are are attached with the virus and 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 what is it going to do to you i am not only mortified by how many children are affected by this let it rip and and how many have been orphaned by this virus and pandemic that we just have tried to ignore but what about their survivors three years down the road when they have huge gaps of brain matter loss and skill development loss and attention deficit disorders because they can no longer focus or hold their attention but but mel that um, was the lockdowns oh. didn't you know oh it's the lockdown goodness. brain even oh though a bunch of places like bc didn't lock down and they went back to school almost right away i'm not sure how they're arguing for that 
right? Yeah, you can't keep blaming lockdown for something that happened like three years ago <laughs> when you've like completely removed masks for like over a year well, and, now. And they weren't we're even really out. required in BC schools for the majority of the time, right? They're were all of the loopholes, which we talked about extensively on the podcast of like, they didn't have to wear it when they were sitting in class. Right? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, like the whole, <laughs> the whole thing about like seating arrangements and facing forward and how, you know, children's lungs don't actually activate when you're sitting in a seat, because apparently they hold the breath and stop breathing. That's how they, they inhale information through mitosis apparently that's well and then you see these these dumbasses i don't remember who tweeted it but i was sassing at them last night because i was just like i think it was somebody in australia that made a post about like one in five children are not are missing school right now and we need to address this really bad problem and i was like are you serious you're not getting this right now you're not putting these fucking pieces together <laughs> Yeah, maybe these kids are missing school um, because they are chronically ill, because they keep catching every virus that is going through their incredibly poorly ventilated building that you have warehoused them in for six days a week, five days a week, well, 10 and months Mel, a year. With all the wildfire smoke going on all across North America right now, what have you noticed is happening with schools and children right now? Oh, everyone should be wearing N95 masks. Hey, New York gave everyone out free N95 masks within 24 hours. They could have done that the entire pandemic. But we have instead in BC, right, in, in which is where we often talk about, the kids are told that they can't go outside. None of them are masks. So then they're stuck into the school buildings, the school buildings that have not sufficiently upgraded their air ventilation, which we've been talking to them about for three years. So now you're putting them in a position where potentially they're just going to get reinfected even faster. And unlike they've been saying how COVID is seasonal, guess what we've noticed? It's not fucking seasonal either. It's just goddamn all year long, right? And we see this happening uh, in many places right now. And and I think I just saw Japan, you know, put out, there's articles coming out that they're having a an unusually high flu season, uh, despite the fact it's not flu season. And I'm like, welcome to the new world, right? Like, this is their idea of endemic uh, SARS is that we are literally getting it all the time. But that was not what was happening with like, if you would have asked any adult, right in North America prior to COVID, like how many times a year were you getting the flu? Most of them aren't getting the flu annually, even. Right. But to suddenly put them in a position now where they're a getting, you know, SARS up to three, four times a year and much faster than that. Now with the variants, there was that paper that came out this past week that said reinfection had occurred after 16 days. That's scary. Can you imagine getting a SARS infection every 16 days? Nah, man, we'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the fucking this is the bullshit right it's like we're already seeing all the outcomes of these things and when the minimizers speak about it it's like they have this weird i mean it's not even weird anymore it's purposeful at this point but you know their explanation is like somehow we're like starting off at baseline with each infection but we're not like it's it's costing us and our immune systems were not meant 
to be working 24 7 365 a year fighting off an infection that's burnout that's how we have people who have these chronic infections that are really unhealthy right that's why we give them certain medications to help them with their immune systems all those things but that's not going to happen with covid we've just said that this is what you're going to deal with but eventually our bodies aren't gonna be able to deal with that and you're seeing that right? This is why we have excessive death rates in our 20 to 50 population right now. It's why we've killed off such a huge portion of the 70 plus in our provinces. And but people are just accepting that because they're old. Well, in like five years, when there's more kids dying from the long term effects after this many reinfections, they'll still won't be caring, right? We see that. Well, it's such a small number of children, right? That's their response. And I've always been angry about it because it's going to be my child because my child is starting off at a lower baseline, right? But they don't count to these people. They simply, they simply no, do because... not count. These people tell us to no, just they go and die. The they've lowered the age of employment for children. So if we die, our kids can work and make the billionaire's money. Like, do you, like I keep thinking back to, you know, last time there was a plague on this planet. Do you think the landlords and the lords and the kings said, oh, you know what, I'm just going to let these serfs get all the bubonic plague and the pox. And then we'll just enslave all their children and they can till our land. <laughs> we'll just take the survivors. It seems like that's exactly what's happening right now because they got everyone back to work. Right. They've convinced they haven't, that, though. They've convinced and they're yelling us, about though. it. Right. That's why we see article yeah. after article about them trying to force people back to the office, about trying to force people out of masks, about trying to force people to not take protections anymore is because they haven't been able to be completely successful about it. And that's why people are so mad at people like us right now, Mel, is because we are the reminder that it's not over, that they can't just band-aid it uh, because they want us to disappear right? So that we aren't reminding other people that there is a different way. And thus far, we happy few refuse to do that, right? And if the patterns go the way that they, you know, statistically and, and logically should go, we won't be the first to die. <laughs> like, and yay us, right, for taking protections, we'll, we'll be subject to fewer reinfections to fewer of those things. But the mass uh, excess deaths and the mass infection that's happening is happening regardless, which is, it's going to catch up to them eventually. And, and it is in terms of supply chains, in terms of staffing shortages, in terms of hospital overload, like all those are related to COVID, whether they want to say the word COVID or not. And it will only continue to increase because, uh, you know, they can lower the working age, but <laughs> you're still killing people off. Like we're still going to have these problems. And, yeah, I mean, we got a lot to behold between now and 2030 if we make it there as a society. I mean, the fires right now even are just like, they're front of mind for me of the amount of fires that we've had just by June, right? The middle of June. I can't imagine what July and August are going to be like. We we just had 200 South African firefighters arrive um, in Edmonton to sort of help with the firefighting. But like, what what do we do when the whole fucking world's on fire, yo? I'm in the Fraser Valley in British Columbia and I have uh, friends that live in like the rural areas where they rely on well water and because, you know, they're having 
been so much development that they can literally just have access to city water, I guess. Uh, their well water has now dried up. It's all gone. And it's only June. And this is a first for them. And it's terrifying because now their well water is dried up. They don't have access to the water in the aquifers anymore. So now they have to buy their water. They're drinking water. Well, and I think about that with our indigenous peoples, right? And the the land that's being destroyed and, and the, the lack of resources that we already had been providing for safe water and those things that were just the most, yeah, well, we've said this for three years, the, the most vulnerable will continue to be the people that pay the price or some rich celebrity people dying. Yeah. But like the poorest of the poor and the ones with no access to resources are going to continue to be the ones hardest hit. And capitalism is taking us down. Right. Because at the end of the day, I know so many people now, particularly from sort of our Twitter communities that, you know, if they could just like up and leave to a COVID safe commune, they would, but like financially, realistically in the world of capitalism we live in they can't right they simply can't no and the powers that be will continue to profit off our misery i mean the fda just uh, fast-tracked and approved a new alzheimer's drug so you know all of us that are going to get alzheimer's from you know uh repeat covid infections if we survive at least we can uh be hooked on their drugs to depend on living a normal life, right? I mean, there there's going to be, there's new cancer drugs being approved right now. Um, Japan just approved um, and is looking for an investor for a new cancer drug that they just developed, you know, and, and then there's the Alzheimer's drugs. I mean, there's going to be all these new things that are coming out that people are going to have to take because of what they've allowed to happen. Well, and it's just, it's never been a surprising thought to me that we would see issues like this after COVID because that just seemed obvious from the start. Um, but, you know, now we actually have research that's suggesting the same, but we're still sort of in the, the same position. And, and when the minimizers have continued to be at the front of mind of everybody and are continuing to be called upon, you know, to be speakers. Like Dr. Henry is going to be alongside Tim Caulfield talking about how to make safer health spaces. Mel, what the fuck? <laughs> okay. Seriously, what the fuck? That woman led the response that led to one third of my grandma's home dying, including her and every single one of them becoming infected. And not a goddamn thing has changed since December 2020. <laughs> Not a damn thing. She said COVID. She said COVID doesn't go around fucking corners. You remember that? <laughs> and the trees. If a tree. <laughs> uh, we just we just didn't want people to go to hospital. Well, she made that sure a sure thing because she fucking collapsed the hospitals. <laughs> and yet she keeps getting accolades and she gets invited to speak. Although Penny Daflos did like ask her a very good question and like asked her why did you allow this to happen when you knew that you were purposely infecting everyone but but what did she say mel something about it's all about perspective it was 
wow i i gotta find that i i didn't actually listen to her because i get uh i get a little ragey when i hear that woman's voice so i'm not gonna lie uh she evokes a rage in me that doesn't come out very often but i if she wasn't getting all of the accolades and celebration she was i probably wouldn't be as angry but to like watch her be celebrated over and over and over again um with the dead of our province at her feet that she steps on with her fluvogs every chance that she gets it's horrifying to watch and I hear from the healthcare workers that work under her system. I hear from those in long-term care that work and live in those systems and are living out the tragedy of her policies every day. And to see people continue to choose to pick her to represent us, it's just, it's, it's just tragic. Okay, but our tax dollars are literally paying for her propaganda team. She literally has a comms team to manage her PR. We have paid for this propaganda with our tax dollars. And then she used our tax dollars to convince us that she wasn't infecting our children on purpose for her study. Right? Like, it's... What she has accomplished is very effective. And... I think only future historians will be able to take note of what she's done. Because right now, even if me and you scream this fact from every single rooftop, people are still going to look at us like... Oh, I get, I, get called, <laughs> I get told that I'm a misogynist because I don't support Bonnie Henry. That's, that's what I'm told, is I'm, I'm clearly a misogynist that's against women leaders. Because I'm so mean about Dr. Henry. That's what I'm told on a regular basis. We've been called fringe. We've been black Zealots. Right? We are zealots. COVID zero zealots. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure, you know, if this was the last plague, they would have already burned us at the stake. I mean, our, but, you know, I guess they can't do that mothers right against drunk driving are zealots. Hey, drunk driving zealots. Anytime we try to stop any sort of public health concern, are we going to be zealots? I mean, that is historically the case. But. I... Yeah, they can't call us witches. <laughs> so we're at the fucking stake, <laughs> motherfuckers. I'm ready. Okay. I will go down for this. That's fine. I will not stop speaking about it. And, and that's sort of been my, my point from the start, right? Is I do not care who comes at me about this. I don't care if it's. 400,000 followers. Zainab, I don't give a fuck what anybody has to say about this. I'm going to speak what appears to be the truth to me. Because the fundamental truth of this is way more fucking important than ego. Like, have some humility. This is about millions, if not billions, of people's lives. Right? This is about the entire world and community care and actually giving a shit about our fellow human beings. And we have just tragically lost that with each day that has gone by in the pandemic. And we continue to lose it, right? We continue to sort of go into these extremes that are failing to recognize that it's everyone's livelihood. It's We're all connected. We are all connected. And... Social media has played a role in that, and it's played a disastrous, a disastrous role in all of this, unfortunately.
you know what? I've also seen social media do some really amazing things. Like when I was doing uh, one of my, I guess, case studies and for my thesis, I found an online group in Second Life that supported each other and they were actually uh, wrestlers. You know, you know, the WWF wrestlers, but there was like this like virtual one in Second Life. And one of the biggest stars was this woman that had MS and she breathed through a straw. But in this virtual world, she had a huge community, a following, a fan club, because she was actually one of those amazing virtual wrestling stars. And so social media can do horrific things like divide us, amplify stochastic. It's also rhetoric. why we're right here talking, though. Yeah, but it can do great things like bring people together that would not ever meet each other i would never have met you crystal had it not been social media and for for our advocacy on twitter and online right we would never have gotten together and done this project canary and we wouldn't have met everyone that's in this room right now listening to us and you know we're nobodies and we're not looking for scholarships or fellowships or even sponsorship i mean y'all i won't lie i truth. become actively poor from doing this work <laughs> Yeah, it, ah, I put so much time and money us. into this shit because it fucking matters. That's the point. Is it doesn't matter if it costs me money. It doesn't matter if it costs me time. It's the right thing to do, and this is why I, this is why I'm like mind blown on a regular basis about the people that choose to get up there with their large platforms and like put misinformation out. I just can't fathom not thinking about the ripple harm that you are causing right? About the sort of disasters that you are causing in people's lives. It's heartbreaking to me. And my empathy goes into overdrive, to be honest. And it's very overwhelming. Um, which is why I said tonight, like, I wanted to touch on, you know, the idea of resilience of like how we survive as we're navigating this. Because I think probably everyone who's in this room tonight knows, like, it feels like it gets harder each day, right? Like, it gets harder. It's exhausting to continue to be the person that's constantly pushing everyone to do better, right? To constantly be telling people that there is a different way that we don't have to cause this harm and to have people constantly attacking you for that, right? Whether it's sort of coworkers, whether it's, you know, management, whether it's the people online, whether it's people on the street, like I can't wear a mask anywhere without somebody, you know, giving me a dirty look for it or wanting to come at me about it. And it's like, how, how do we survive in that atmosphere, right? I think community is one of those things. And that's why we, we host these spaces, why we have the podcast is, is sometimes to simply just be a voice that other people can hear that makes them feel not crazy. Yeah, like know that you're not alone. And honestly, for every reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? So you have these people that are pushing this disinformation and this hate and this bigotry, and this harm. But then there's people on the other side, on the other end of the spectrum, who care, like everyone in this room, who does genuinely want to reduce harm, that want to educate, that want to share information. And that's our action, right? To, in, in, in response to the misinformation, we respond with, scientific facts with other information to counter the narrative and honestly that 
is the cure, right? We have to just keep on building community because eventually they're going to be so, <laughs> I hate to say this and I don't want to be mean, but they're going to be eventually so multiply infected with just giant massive clumps in their brains that they're going to lose functionality at some point. And I hate saying that, but that's coming down the pipe. Well, and I always wonder about what that will be like, right? It went, if, if sort of general population sort of wakes up or maybe accepts what's happening, the anger that will come from that, right? The anger that will come towards those in power. But sometimes it feels like COVID's going to move so fast with its outcomes that we might not get to that stage. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I envision and I hope that we are able to course correct before we hit a point of no return, really. Because there, there is a point of no return, just like, what's going on with the climate collapse right now, right? We've gone past the 1.5 degree warming that they tried to warn us about, but it's never too late to course correct. Because you can minimize and, the harm caused, right? And that's that's, that's the point right. is that it's not all or none. And that's what people, that's sort of the trap that has constantly been used in COVID too. Well, we're in lockdowns or we're not doing anything at all, right? that was never sort of the answer. The answer was to improve air ventilation, to improve air quality, to have masking in the indoor spaces where it made sense, like to have it in medical settings, to have it in schools where we know primary drivers of the infections are like, none of those things are unreasonable, but that was never how it was put out. And, and that stands on the back of people like Dr. Henry, who put those divides in there and that black and white thinking about these things that, you know, even this, this poster that, that one at the, I think it was IPAC, the unmasking, the future of unmasking, right? That somehow that is the goal is to get back to normal. When in the first year of this pandemic, a lot of what they said was like, we may never get back to that state, right? Like we may never sort of be able to go back there. And they just got rid of that along the way, just as well as they stopped saying that we were increasing the risk, you know, there was increased risk among Indigenous peoples and we needed to prioritize their safety. Well, after the end of 2020, we stopped talking about that, right? We stopped talking about that racialized communities were the paying the higher price of this. And in fact, you saw Trump lean into that in the United States about it being racialized communities. And they went back and removed protections after that because a lot of the uh, people from white communities were like, well, I just don't care as much then right? They leaned into that, which is horrifying. It's horrifying. And that's exactly the state we find ourselves in right now is that people's train of mind is, well, it's not me. I don't really care who it is that's being hurt, but it's not me. And they go with that. And I have such a fundamental, uh, mm, I, just a, a misunderstanding of that because it's not a value that I hold. I can't identify with feeling like that I seek to minimize harm in every aspect of my life and and it's like a horror to behold like it makes me feel ill when I think about it which is why I'm glad we still have these spaces to sort of talk about it because it's not like we're just sort of trying to fight for people's lives but it's like we're fighting for 
just humanity <laughs> to be like caring right to to have community care to to want to not kill your neighbor that that's not a right that you should want to have to cough in my face right like why have we become so disconnected from one another to the point that this continues to be the path that we walk it's just it's horrifying so we we connect with people that have similar values to us we connect with people that want to walk the pathway that gets us away from this and it's hard to stay on that pathway sometimes um and i'd say that sometimes you need a break like this week i've i've not done as much data stuff and i've just been trying to find some joy in my life and focus on like the connections that i have and and sort of building those up and and trying to look to where life can still be good um because i think we all need that sometimes and it becomes hard um when you see the dark in the world it becomes really hard especially when you see that most other people are blind to it well i mean that's the example and leadership that has been set right i mean let's not forget where this leadership stems from right this letter of rip mentality the same policy that dr bonnie henry has influenced throughout canada is the exact same great barrington declaration policy that was developed in the oval office under the trump administration actually in front of trump himself who decided to just let the plague wash over the masses as uh woodward had recorded in his book fury right so the leadership comes from there of just letting the poor suffer, letting the people of minorities, just let them bear the brunt without giving too much thought into consequences. Now, <laughs> Friday was indictment day. Trump got indicted. So this is the type of leadership. I just want everyone to keep in mind where it's coming from. It's coming from this man who kept top secret documents in his guest bathroom in Mar-a-Lago that had multiple entrances where people could just sort of just walk in and just, you know, take a look. But at the same man who documents. stoked up the anti-vaccine movement while all the while getting vaccines himself. Right. Exactly. Like people like our leaders really need to just step back and take stock and really think about the origin of where this attitude and approach to pandemic handling has come from. It's literally from the same guy who bought metal from a sanctioned Russian oligarch to build his wall that is unfinished, right? That, that is literally the same administration. So to course correct, really, you have to do the opposite of what this poor leadership has set in motion, but you have to acknowledge it. And hopefully maybe because this guy got indicted by like 37 counts or something like he's going to end up a million years in prison. Hopefully that like helps you understand that, you know, perhaps following his leadership was not the best idea for humanity. I don't know. We're all connected. And, and well, at least God, we're in the timeline where he's president. God. Well, we, we see these people run together, right? Like I see... Did you see the article about the Stanford coronavirus antibody study and Mr. J's wife? Yes, please uh, elaborate on that for our listeners in case they're not familiar. Yeah, so uh, we there was an article that was going around again, repassed out from April 2020 because uh, Mr. I, I don't know how to say his name and I, I honestly don't want to say it wrong, but 
JB, who's one of the uh, Stanford people who's been very loudly part of the minimizers group. Uh, <laughs> they were passing around a, a old article about how his wife had uh, solicited parents via email to join the Jay's coronavirus antibody study by falsely claiming that the tests were FDA approved and would tell participants whether they were immune, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, it, it, it's a reminder to me when I see things like that, how different people are from us, right? That they're not seeking sort of the fundamental truth of things. And we have to remember that when we sort of discuss even the research and all of that. Like I, I've been really thinking about academic research lately and I've decided I'm not publishing anymore um, because I, I just don't respect the system and I don't trust it. And it's very sort of political based and that may do a disservice to the area I work in, but at the same time, like it's so fundamentally flawed right now that I have no trust in it to actually be focused on sort of fundamental truths. And we've been seeing this more and more with the COVID research in that uh, the long COVID study, right? The 12 symptoms that sort of misrepresentation that, um, that was, showing us what long COVID was when we, you had so much of the long COVID community coming out and speaking out against it. Um, and you have sort of the, the fit and happy article with, with our friend Anthony, right. And them using that article essentially as a weird mean girls circle jerk. <laughs> and the degradation of science is, has been something to be beholden, right. The last, like I've been in academia I started my bachelor's in the fall of 2007 and then I graduated uh, last year with my PhD. So I was in academia for about 14 years through the university of British Columbia um, in Kelowna and the degradation of science has been heartbreaking to watch and science was already a hard thing for people to understand and make sense of. And statistics was sort of a, a hobby I had because I'm a nerd and really love sort of research methodology methodology and, and statistics and sort of figuring out when our, our parametric or our normed based statistics aren't really good to use and when we should use alternative statistics to get um, a conservative but better answers to what we're looking for. And watching that be misused during the COVID pandemic has been like stabs to my soul, to be honest, because... Um, people just lie at this point and it's hard to it's hard to trust any of the academics after what we've been watching them sort of say and do but also the medical community right like i lean back into bc poly and and the doctors of bc group right um holding these you know agm meetings and big meetings where all the doctors are unmasked and then they go and work with sort of their vulnerable clients and I think what we're seeing the most, if we have to sort of summarize it, is that despite that many people will say that they care about vulnerable, vulnerable groups, despite the fact that many people will say that they're sort of um, left-leaning even uh, and care about these things, that when it comes down to actually acting on those values, when it comes down to acting with ethics, we are in a very small group. And that group becomes smaller with each day that goes by because more and more people sort of fall to wanting to go back to normal, even though probably at the heart of it, they know that that normal doesn't exist anymore. Um, but that is fundamentally too distressing to them to be able to cope with. So they continue to turn back to this 
false idea of normality. And I think probably with us, all of us in here, right? <laughs> I see many friends in here um, that our brains work a little different. And I think they probably always have. I think if we all talk about what we were like as kids, what we were like as adolescents, what we've been like in adulthood, that we've always had a little bit of a stream of of being different, of thinking different, of of being a little neurodivergent, if I use the, that sort of word, um, in that we've been a big picture thinker, right? We think about the connections of things, and that's not how most of these people are operating. And we can't necessarily make them think that way. And that's sort of where we find ourselves stuck, right? Is that we can't make them think in the ways that we think or see the things that we do. Um, and even with the data now, the cognitive dissonance load on them, they just choose to sort of look away from the data and continue acting in the ways they're acting. But I will say that with more data, you know, we do keep pushing forward. We do see small sort of areas that are pushing for air quality and getting it, right? That we're seeing... Uh, the White House and CDC start to talk about ventilation, talk about air quality. Um, so we get somewhere, but I grieve daily for the lives lost while we try to push this forward. I think it's fascinating because of our ability to see the big picture and to step back our neurodivergence is actually ensuring that our offspring are going to survive. Like we are going to outlive the neurotypicals who refuse to adapt, who refuse to learn, who refuse to take actions to survive because honestly they are allowing themselves to get multiple infections and and now new studies are showing that you know the, the virus actually affects your dna not only does it unravel your telomeres and accelerate aging uh thank you for the all the extra white hairs i've had since my last COVID infection by the way but um it it unravels and embeds itself in your dna so the less infections we allow our children to have because we are aware of the protections we need to take in place to protect ourselves and our family, in a sense, we are ensuring that our neurodivergence is going to live on. Yeah, I don't disagree, right? We we teach our children very specific principles, right? My son, who's one of the only mass kids ever having to deal with that, Right. And and sort of grow, three years now, it's been half his life, Mel, half his life that he's been sort of dealing with that. And he will be so strong because of it. He's going to be resilient because of it. And I wish they were lessons he didn't need to learn. Right. I truly do. Um, and it's hard to sort of watch them have to learn those lessons. But, yeah, they're going to be safer than some of the other kids. And. So will we as, as adults, right, that are choosing to sort of continue to use these measures despite the way the world treats us. Um, at the end of the day, if, if those people are right and reinfections aren't doing anything, uh, they have nothing to worry about, right? But if they're wrong, they sure do. And at this point, I'd rather, uh, I'd rather wear a mask for the rest of my life than uh, be wrong about what they're saying. I regularly do these like thought exercises, right? Where I'm thinking, okay, am I completely 
like off the wall here. All the science, all the literature out there, all the research is is that not real? No, it's peer reviewed. Therefore, it must be real. The science supports the fact that you shouldn't be letting yourself get infected. It, the virus doesn't evolve to be weaker. No, XBB Omicron is not less. Of, it's not going to harm you less. And there is right? no herd immunity. It, Let's be clear. There is no herd immunity. That's right. Right? So the steps that I'm taking to protect myself with N95s, with ventilation, with HEPA filters, with with reducing as amount of viral load and infection as possible, that is the right thing to do. And I have to do these thought exercises regularly because sometimes I find because I'm surrounded by such, I want to say what, um, neurotypical non-maskers, they, they look at you like there's something but wrong But I've been looked you. at like that my whole fucking life. <laughs> exactly. So I'm just like, whatever. Right? Like I was always, I just always cared more about getting answers to things, about the why of things, about understanding motivations. And I've always pushed people to consider that and to like question themselves. And that's not, even as a child, and that's not something anybody liked, right? Like I was the one that was questioning the teacher and they were like, shut up. Like, I don't want to answer your damn questions, child. Like you don't have the right to answer me. And then it would be like, well, why do you think that you have more power than me? Like, why do you think that you don't have to answer my questions? Right. And that has continued to stick with me and sticks with me to this day, if not even more so as I become more assertive in my life. Um, but I'm starting to lose my voice a bit because we are still smoky here. So I'm probably going to start to to end us off uh, pretty close here. Uh, but we're recorded. So everything will be up if you're sort of just joining now. Everything will be there. But also to, to state on top of that, all the things that we're doing, you know, with the air filtration, with the masks, it's only helping all of us that are struggling with the climate change and the fires as well, right? That um, I'm outside here in Edmonton yesterday air quality at like a seven, it's high risk, not a person in a mask, not anyone other than me in a mask outside. Wow. And people are coughing. They're clearly being impacted by the smoke, uh, people at my work, right? And, but continue to not wear a mask. And uh, it's, it's, it's something we talked about two years ago on this podcast, right? When, when Bonnie Henry was negating the importance of masks. We said that we would all rue that day in our society, right? That we would all understand that this has long-term impacts, not just about COVID by minimizing the importance of masks. And we see that now every day with the wildfire smoke, right? That we have made masks so distasteful to people, so representative of something they don't want to see that they won't even put it on when you can see the wildfire smoke and you are coughing in the wildfire smoke that they won't put a mask on. That's where we're at. Fox News actually had a segment saying that it's just fine particulate in the air and it's it's just ash and smoke and it's fine for your lungs. Like they are now minimizing fire smoke and say, hey guys, it's just a little long damage. You can totally stick your your face in and like maybe wildfire smoke maybe and raw dog, all if that people is. were only dealing with one day of wildfire smoke for the whole summer, but in Edmonton it's been like three weeks now, right? And people are not realizing too sort of the 
um, dysfunction that's arising from the, all those previous COVID infections as well. And then they're like surprised that they're being impacted by the smoke, that they're being impacted by allergies, that they're being impacted by like the common cold and they're sick for weeks now. They can't understand why that's happening. Although to us, it's obvious. Yeah, New York can't figure out why they still can't see their sky. Like they're like, how come this wildfire is lasting? Forever? Well, and I saw the post uh, of the people Quebec's on fire. People in the middle of that smoke doing like the rooftop yoga, right? And you're just like, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I <laughs> like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Right? We have a failure to adapt. Is what's happening? Yeah. But again, I'm going to start to close this out because my, my I want to let my voice rest with the smoke and, and whatnot. But as everyone that's in here tonight, like I just want to say too, because we've been sort of talking about it on and off, despite, you know, the hardness that we're dealing with every day, please go find some fucking joy. <laughs> like just take some moments in whatever way that will do that for you it can be simple things it can be big things like find something that brings you joy and lean into that a little bit because there are many hard days ahead so like take the moments of good when you can have them because I believe that all of us in here are going to continue to push um and it's going to be exhausting right so do what you can to care for yourself in the midst of that because what we do is important, right? Even if it doesn't feel like it all the time, even if it doesn't feel like we're getting somewhere all the time, um, it is important. And and I can't say how many times I've had people sort of message me to just like say hi and just be like, it's so nice to have a person that talks openly about it or, or that sort of does the mask things. Like I've had so many interactions with people now where I get to hand off masks or rapid tests that they're they're so grateful to just have sort of some resource uh, to look to. And so I want to keep all of us as strong and healthy as possible so we can continue to provide that community care and seek that community care because that will be the thing that saves us is sort of how we treat each other and the community care that we provide. So um, I thank you all for being part of that community care for me, right? Like having a space like this to be able to talk and know that people are out there that actually care, that want to listen, that want to interact. Um, that absolutely feeds my soul so thank you all for being part of that thanks everyone for joining us tonight and uh big hugs to you all hug a friend hug a tree yeah and i'm gonna go watch an excellent movie that was recommended to me and take my joy so i hope that you all do the same tonight Oh, thank you.